From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. So, that's kind of where we are, and um, but we're also studying the book of Genesis, and we've been in Genesis 3 now for a few days. This is probably going to be the end of Genesis 3. We'll move on to the patriarchs. Uh, and and some of the other stories, actually not the patriarchs. We have some fun stories before we get to the patriarchs. Um, so, uh, but, um, so we're going to go here. I'm going to just read the end of, uh, well, where we were yesterday is we had the three curses. We had the curse to Eve because she actually ate from the tree. Uh, and then we had the curse from to the serpent because he's the one that told Eve to eat from the tree. And then we had the curse to man because he followed Eve's lead. Uh, he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and the curse to him is that he has to go on the ground uh, because uh, cursed is the ground because of you and through painful toil you will eat food from it. So the whole idea of trying to sustain life, trying to get water, food, nourishment, and all that apparently was really easy in the Garden of Eden and now it's really difficult. And if you've ever been a farmer, or part of the farming industry, you know that it can still be very, very, very difficult. Um, it's amazing that we have so much machinery and technology, and uh, you know we have Monsanto producing seeds that are high quality. We have you know what do you call it fertilizers that can help the seeds grow. Uh, we have not disinfectants, but insecticides, right, that prevent uh, diseases and and uh, and things you know, destroying the plants and all that sort of thing. But with all that, it is still very, very difficult to produce food. And um, I think it goes back here to the garden because God says that it's going to be difficult for you. And it seems like just when we turn the corner that we have some new technology or some new um, thing about food, uh, you know, we think we got we think we got it nicked, right? We we think we know exactly how food is grown and all that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, something happens to threaten the food supply. I don't know if you've ever. I've never actually seen this movie, and I actually watched this at some point. It's it's either an Amazon or a Netflix or some sort of documentary. It talks about the banana industry and about how the bananas that we eat today are nothing like the bananas that we used to eat. The bananas we eat today have very, very few small seeds in them, uh, but about, I don't know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I'm not exactly sure of the timeline, there was this disease that came into the bananas and they could not figure out how to solve this disease. And instead of solving the disease, they decided they were going to go to a whole different strain of banana. And so all the bananas that we eat in the United States across the world today are all the same genetically similar banana uh, but it also means it's very susceptible to diseases. And apparently in some places across the world, there's a new disease that's threatening the banana crop. And apparently, according to this documentary, I've only read a synopsis of it, there is no like reserve banana crop. So if this banana crop goes out, um, the bananas that we know here in the, you know, in the United States we've been eating for years and years, my whole entire life, that might change dramatically. I mean, there may not even be bananas. I mean, so... And I love bananas. Bananas are part, you know, staple in the, in the healthy diet, right? So, um, and I, I don't want to concern anybody about bananas, but I guess I'm just telling you that uh, there is difficulty in the food production industry, and I believe there's that difficulty because of this this curse of man in the fall that everything that we do in this life 
to try to get food and water and sustenance and all that is all going to be difficult for mankind and probably always will be difficult for mankind uh, because it's a curse from the fall. And, uh, you know, maybe that's where even some of these diseases and viruses and things that we get, maybe it's all part of this too because uh, it's never easy. And, uh, and it seems like just when we have everything licked and we seem like we know what we're doing, it seems like something else pops up from out of the blue, like a pandemic that's going to threaten life as we know it. And so we have to toil the ground. We have to toil the soil to figure out what in the world's going on. And uh, I think we'll get through it and we're going to toil as best as we can. But we will always have difficulties in this life. There's always going to be struggles in this life as a curse because of the fall of man. So that's kind of where we left yesterday. And from dust you are, from dust you will return. But now we're going to go um, to the next part of it, which is to finish Genesis 3, which then starts at verse 20. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So this is the result of the curse. A couple things, Adam names his wife Eve. Uh, and then I think the fact that the God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them is a, uh, is a, a form of grace, if you will, because you know they had never known what it was like to be uh, you know, in the garden I believe that the Garden of Eden was so temperate and so beautiful, however it was designed. The food was plentiful, water was plentiful, nourishment was plentiful, and that the climate changed very, very, very little. So you might get a two or three degree climate change or something like that the whole year round. And uh, because of that, man was perfectly fine being naked in the garden, uh, except now that he's ashamed that he's naked, and so he puts on a fig leaf, uh, and he puts one on Eve, but but God says, you know, you're going to need more than a fig leaf if you go out of this garden. There's now cold. There's now heat. Uh, the, the, the temperature variation that I'm going to put on this earth or that exists on the earth outside of the Garden of Eden is so great that you're going to need protection from it. And so he sews them a garment of skin um, and he clothes them and now they go out. Uh, you know, it's, it's an incredible act of grace from God to show them you're not going to die you think you're going to die, but you're not. What is the basic three things according to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you need in this world? You need food and clothing and shelter. Uh, and so he gives them clothing. You know, the food, he'll be, he'll be able to still do the food, but it's going to be hard. Um, shelter, he might have to build his own shelter. And then, of course, uh, you need love, right? The, the number one basic thing besides food, clothing, and shelter is um we live in relationship. We are relationship people. We do not do well when we are isolated from each other, as, you, as we've seen in this whole pandemic, right? We have to have relationships with other people. That's what makes us survive. I can tell you story after story that I've read about research on relationships and how important it is, how important hugs are. My goodness, we can't get a hug. 
um, you know, except for people that are in our within our six feet that we can get a hug from. Um, but so God does this amazing thing. He gives them, he gives them a skin. Okay. But then now I, I want to just listen to, to what God says here in verse, uh, I guess it's 22. Actually, I'll show it up again on the screen. Verse 22. And the Lord God said, man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil. And he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So apparently this tree of life in the Garden of Eden that probably Adam was eating from and Eve was eating from was some sort of tree that provided something that if man ate from it, he lived forever. Now I find that, I mean, I just, I, I dwell about, you know, I think about these things because I'm just very curious about it, but what was in the tree of life? And um, is there a potential that at some day we, through medical science, might understand what's causing aging? And can we provide a synthetic form of the tree of life that prevents us from aging and living forever? Now that, my friends, is the million dollar, it's the trillion dollar question. Um, because uh, we don't live forever, right? Uh, right now we live, you know, I, I think the average lifespan of a man is about 80 and maybe a woman's about 86 or something like that. I don't know. It's, but uh, we, we do not live forever. You get some people that live well into their hundreds and you get some people that die very young. But I think on average, it's about in the 80s. And, uh, and even in the Psalms, right, the, the, the lifespan of a man is 70, four score and 10, uh, but maybe, you know, maybe 80 years uh, potentially. So, so we, we know that, that at some point we're all going to die. And uh, apparently death is a byproduct of, of knowing now the difference between good and evil, eating from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we've become enlightened. We understand good and evil. And now we are very, very close to what God is. Man has now become like one of us. Man, there's just so much to unpack here. Um, so where do I start? Well, I think I'll start with the fact of why is it so bad for man to live forever? Uh, why would that be such a problem? Well, I can think, I can think, I can speculate a couple of things. And the first one has to do with uh, what happens if a man does live forever? Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but what would happen if, if somebody existed on this earth that was a thousand years old? Like, what would that look like? What, what could a person do? What could mankind do if he could live for a thousand years? So in, there have been stories on TVs, you know, was it the Highlander or whatever? But, uh, you know, there's always these... Um, these TV shows or movies about, about people that live forever. And what's the one thing about, uh, you know, these creatures that live forever that you always see? And one of them is that they're very wealthy, right? They're very wealthy. They're very, they understand things. And why is that? Because if you live forever, uh, you have the ability then to gain an almost unlimited amount of wealth, right? Uh, because, because now you're no longer constrained by death to build up a nest egg and let that nest egg grow and grow and grow with interest over time, right? Uh, 
and the other thing that I'm sure I've talked about uh, is this whole idea about um, about power and wealth and how it attracts power and wealth. And I think what I'd like to do for that uh, is maybe just, you know, go. this is going to be crazy. You're going to think it's crazy, but I just want to show it to you this morning. Um, but but if you have um, if you have Newton's law of um, it's called Newton's law of gravitation. And basically it's like this. It's, it's the mass of one body and the mass of a second body. This is a law by Newton. And the distance between it, we'll call that distance. You have M1, M2 in the distance that the force exerted between these two bodies, F, equals some value, um, I'll call it V, times M1 and times M2 and divided by the distance squared. So the larger the mass of one body, uh, and the closer it is, or the larger the mass of two bodies and the distance, the more there is a force towards that one body. I know this is kind of crazy. So uh, if you think of the earth, right? Here's the earth and it has a mass. And then we have little people on the earth and we'll call those people. And so we have a distance there between the center of mass here and the center of mass of people. Um, and there's a force and that force is called the force of gravity, which is 32.2 feet per second squared. Okay, sorry about that. But basically, uh, the larger the mass, the more it draws things in. That's the important thing. And that's a law of physics from Newton, right? And so if you have power and wealth, then you attract power and wealth. And the longer you live and the more you attract power and wealth, the more powerful you become. And just think about that. If you had somebody that could live to be a thousand years. I mean, if you took $10 and let that $10 today invest for a thousand years, think of how much wealth you would have in a thousand years. It'd be incredible. Um, but it's also, it's also true with science. It's true with technology. It's true with anything that takes time, that's constrained by time to understand the, you know, the universe. And if, if, uh, if you can live forever, the thing, the point I want to make here is, this is just a thought experiment. If you can live forever, will you get to a point where you understand the universe and all its complexity? Will you understand travel? Will you understand travel faster than speed of light? Will you un uh, understand uh, black holes and wormholes and parallel universes and all that sort of thing? And then I guess the thought extent, ex you know, experiment could extend to this. Would you understand God? Could you become like a god? Uh, in the Greek mythology, right? In any, what is the number one definition of a god? Is a god can't be killed, right? Um, so could we, as humans, if you know, if we eat from this tree of life, would we become like God? Would we, would we become a threat to God? Now you say, well, of course you're not going to become God's all powerful and God's all that. Okay, but where did Satan come from? And how did how did Satan get banished? And and uh, is Satan you know, how powerful is Satan? How powerful are the angels? How powerful is God? I mean, these are questions you have to think about. And apparently God felt that man was, I don't want to call it a threat, but that man, for some reason, because he now ate from the, the, from the tree of good and evil, it was good for man to not live forever. And either that's because he challenges God uh, or perhaps, and another possibility here is that um, 
man never does live forever, right? Even if we as scientists understand the human condition, we understand why it is that we die and we solve that problem, or maybe we have the ability to create new bodies and transfer our memories and the new body, whatever it is that we can figure out how to live forever, even if we can figure that out, I don't think it's possible for man to figure out the universe. And we know that the universe began at a point in time and it's gonna go out and there's two ways that the universe ends. It either dis dissipates into nothingness or it all comes back together in this super, super huge you know, mass and then explodes again. And nothing, I guarantee you, nothing will you know, survive either of those situations. So whether or not man lives 80 years or 1,000 years or 100,000 years, the simple truth is that man will never live forever based upon our own understanding of the universe. And I don't think we can ever understand so much about the universe that we will ever come and compete against God. I don't think. But you just, for some reason, God now says, you know, 80 years is about all you get, 100 years if you're lucky, right? Um, and it has something to do with how we're created and understanding good and evil. And it's all wrapped up into one different thing. And I, uh, it, I think that everything that God does for us uh, is, is done for our own benefit. Now, obviously, there's three curses here, right? So we are cursed in childbirth and we're cursed in toiling the ground. So those are curses from God that we have to live with as we live in this life. But this doesn't appear to be a curse. This appears to be, I mean, look, God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. So that's a blessing, right? Uh, but now that we know about good and evil, we cannot be allowed, probably for our own sake and for our own psyche and for our own benefit, um, we cannot be allowed to eat and live forever. And I believe that God does this because we're just not, we're, he didn't create us to live forever and understand the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It's just the two just do not go hand in hand. And so he blesses us and he loves us uh, and he kicks us out of the garden so that we personally now have uh, death in our life. But I believe that the death that God gives is uh, it's some level because he loves us. And uh, if that's the case, the, uh, you know, we don't want to die. We want to live forever. God provides another blessing. And the other blessing is that he became flesh and dwelt among us so that when we die, uh, if we die, you know, some of us may not die. We might live forever. I've been told that, um, you know, we're very close to figuring out what the aging process is. So maybe we not live forever, but we'll live a longer time, right? But that presents this whole, a whole other set of challenges. Uh, but if we, do, uh, the, if we do die or when we do die, um, we someday will be resurrected in a new form, in a new heaven, a new earth that won't die. And we will live in the presence of God forever. And now we understand, I guess, you know, what it's like to live, to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and even how horrible it is to suffer and toil. But now God has provided another out for us, which is to live with him forever uh, in a new paradise, which I think is just absolutely fantastic. So um, God really is watching out for us. I believe, you know, the one, the one question philosophers, not Christians, but philosophers deal with is, is God really looking out for our best interest, right? I mean, does God really truly love us? Because if you look around in the world, there's so much beauty, but there's also so much evil. And uh, the Christian scriptures, the Jewish scriptures are all very, very, very clear that evil comes from Satan 
And all the good comes from God. Everything that God does, every blessing from his hand is done for our own benefit. So you have to read that into Genesis 3 here. He clothes us. He gives us garments of skin. That's for our benefit. But also, we cannot eat from the tree of life and live forever. The only conclusion we can get from that is that it has to be from our, for our benefit. If for some reason, and we can speculate on what that is, we cannot eat from the tree of life for our own benefit our own sake. Uh, but we know that someday we will eat from the tree of life, but it'll be after we've been, uh, after we've been died, we've been resurrected, and now we will live with God forever. And maybe it'll be something so amazing. We can't, well, it will be so amazing. We can't even put our arms around it, our hands around it. Um, so, uh, gosh, there was one other thing I want to talk about in Genesis 3. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll do it real quick. Uh, we, because uh, then I want to move on to Genesis 4. We uh, did a sermon series. I don't know if you remember. There's a sermon series on three different worldviews in this world. Um, let's see if I can just really quickly itemize what they are. The worldviews are uh, our innocence and guilt. You can see how horrible I am in handwriting, right? That uh, some cultures, including our Western culture, we live in this uh, innocence-guilt paradigm. And, and what happened? Well, we're now cursed, right? We have the curses. Uh, so we're guilty. And because we're guilty, God has judged us as being guilty. We're no longer innocent. We're, the innocence was lost uh, in our life, in mankind. But there are other cultures, and other cultures look at the Genesis story differently. There's also, um, there's also power, right? And um, weakness, or uh, what is that called? Um, you know that we've lost we've lost our power, uh, and then there's um, there's shame and honor or honor, honor and shame. Uh, power and weakness, I guess. Uh, and and we lost we lost all three of these at the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, we're no longer weak. Uh, we're no longer have power. We're no the God walking with us and giving us His power. We're now living in this in this whole weakness thing, and we've been. If you live in an honor shame culture, um, you know being part of the family is the most important thing, uh, and and we no longer are part of the family. We're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and so um, if you are if you are a person that lives, let's say in Africa, uh, you would look at this story of of Genesis three, and it wasn't that you you know you you don't care about necessarily about guilt and innocence. What you really care about is that you lost the power of God, right? That you at one point had this power from God. He was there, he was all powerful and he walked with you and now you don't have that power anymore. So if you live in an African country, you're always fighting the evil spirits, right? The animistic spirits that live in those countries. And so you're looking for power because you lost that power in the garden. Or if you live uh, in maybe an Asian country that's very much an honor shame uh, country, um, we lost, we now live in shame because we lost our honor and we're kicked out of the family, right? We're kicked out of God's uh, kingdom. And uh, so you look, it, depending upon where you are around the world, I'm not explaining this very well, but in Western cultures of which we are very much a part of, when we look at the story of the fall in the Garden of Eden, the thing that we glob onto is that we lost our innocence, and, and we did. We lost our innocence in the fall, being kicked out of the garden. But 
other people and other cultures around the world might look at this story of the fall of mankind uh, and being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they're going to look at it differently. The thing that's going to resonate with them is that when they were in the garden, they had the power of God, and now they don't have the power of God. Or if you're in an Asian country, we had the honor of being in the Garden of Eden. We're part of the family, and now we're ashamed by being out of the family. And those are the things that resonate from you from this story. And uh, the interesting thing is if you do any missionary work across like in Africa uh, or if you're in the Asian countries, you're going to highlight different aspects of the fall to try to meet who they are. Now, the thing is, is that subsequent generations here in the United States are no, not necessarily uh, following the innocence guilt part of our culture. And here in the United States, we have people... Uh, we have newer generations that they don't really, guilt and innocence doesn't really resonate with them. But what really resonates with them is the idea that we do something that, that shames our family, it shames our culture, it shames our, our subgroup. Um, you know, if you are uh, part of a different class of people, you know, whatever, and you do something and it gets posted on Twitter and you know it shames somebody that's a big deal for you it may not be a big deal for some of you some of us who are more you know aligned with innocence and guilt but if you are a person that connects with people on twitter or on facebook or whatever and somebody posts something about you that says you did something wrong you know that shamed your class of people it can it can destroy you so uh, so the so the whole idea of what happened at the fall is different for different people across the world and even here in the United States with different cultures. But the blessing of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth and was, you know, lived among us, died and rose again, is that he gives us power, uh, he gives us honor, and he, rest you know, he gives us innocence. All three of those come through the power of the resurrection. And so all those worldviews are covered through Jesus, but all of them were lost here at the Garden of Eden. So that's kind of a, a brief thing and I, you know, I could spend a whole a whole day on that, and I don't want to do that because I want to continue moving on to Genesis 4 because Genesis 4 is really, really interesting. So uh, that's going to end it for Genesis 3, I think, unless something else pops in my head and I have to go back. But we're going we're gonna to definitely end here on Genesis 3. Tomorrow we'll go to Genesis 4. Uh, so why don't you join me in prayer as we close. Uh, dear God, uh, we know that you still loved us even as you kicked us out of the garden. How do we know that? Because you clothed us. Uh, you prevented us from living forever, which is probably a blessing from your hand. But more than anything, you sent your son to live uh, and be with us and show us what's, what it's like uh, to be in your kingdom and to bring us into your kingdom. So thank you for this time together uh, and bring us back together again tomorrow uh, as we continue studying your word. In your son's name we pray. Amen.